0: Hey guys. So um sorry we're late, you know. We're from Ecuador, you know, that land time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, man, I'm here I'm here with uh, with Chris Wolf, the big bad, big bad Wolf. He is, you know, it's been a whirlwind since I met him, you know. Just uh, our friend Johnny Lopez, like we were just we were just talking, he's he, he literally one day just put me in a chat with with Chris and we just started talking and uh you know, he has an amazing story, but uh, he actually, uh, you're an athlete for the Adaptive Training Foundation, right? Yeah, Yeah, so he'll explain all that and stuff like that, but we we are trying to, to work together to get more adaptive athletes um, working out yep. and getting out there, so, but, you know, if, if you haven't met Chris Wolf, um, I invite you to go to his Instagram and check it out. He i mean he he literally did, has done some amazing stuff and and you know i'm I'm honored to have you here and especially in the day weekend man it's it's amazing to have you so um yeah man um my brother Carlos you just met you just met his his in endeavor <laughs> and uh and we're here in uh in close to patrick's air force base and
1: uh We'll tell you all about our,
0: our, our journey this weekend, which is
1: yeah. shaping up to be interesting. So, yes. hey, thank Chris. you for being here, man. Yeah, Chris, welcome to Marketer Brothers, man. And uh, this is the, the twin brother that is not a twin, but we look like twins sometimes. So, um, yeah. I, I, he looks I, older, though. Yeah, he does. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of this going on here. Yeah, right? So. <laughs> hey. we, always,
0: we always tease each other because every, every person we ask to, Who's older? They always say me. And I'm
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you you are you are you are the only one that says that had said me. So yeah, yeah, thank that, you. That, bro. That's hey, good. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. You have special place in my heart now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you guys talked before the interview. Now I know.
2: <laughs> Actually, when your picture showed up, and he's like, "This is my brother." <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is my older brother. Okay? <laughs> No, Chris, man, we're so honored to have you here and uh, for you to share your story. We, we've been wanting to do these interviews with, with veterans, people that have served like you, that you know have, have gone to the ultimate sacrifice uh, for us. And uh, in, in honor of veterans, this whole weekend, we're interviewing a lot of people. And man, uh, when I heard your story and, and Ricky spent some time with you last weekend, Running a was it a beast a Spartan? Yeah, beast? it was two, two weeks ago, but yeah, it it, it was the yeah. Dallas
0: Beast, the Dallas yeah. Beast.
1: There. And he told me all about it, and 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 in your attitude and your 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 spirit and your heart for helping other people. Yeah, uh, man, I, I, I was I was fascinated. So welcome to oh, we'll Brothers. Uh, yeah. was, uh, Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where are you from? Where were you born? And uh, how are you as a child? I think that's important for people to know right off the bat. And then you can tell us a little bit more about your service and your story.
2: Uh, My name is Christopher Wolf. Um, Originally grew up in Southern California. I uh, grew up in a split household. My mom uh, made some bad choices. So my dad took me on as a single father and my older sister. And uh, we bounced around from houses when we were younger to, to find a permanent location. And uh, small town in California called Asperia. It's uh, in the Mojave Desert. Uh, we have two two major exits. If you pass one, you 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 got to turn around and hit the other one. Otherwise, you've gone completely through our town. <laughs> <laughs> um, one
1: one stoplight, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Right, right. You passed
2: <laughs> it. Welcome to our town. You're <laughs> now leaving our town. <laughs> and uh, so um, I came from a military background of family, um, and they were all different services from the Marines, the Navy. And the, uh, the the newest one that I had known was my uncle who was in the Army. and He ended up retiring from the Army as a comm specialist. And I went in uh, looking at in the military when I was younger as like a way to, to, to give back and to be – so I looked at the Air Force. So when I grew up a uh, small town, not a whole lot that goes on down there. Everything is pretty much an hour drive to anywhere that would be considered fun. So um, did a lot of things that focused on – I uh, did some cross country in junior high, a little bit of track and field, but then started working for a fast food restaurant and just knew that was a dead end. And uh, didn't see me going anywhere without having to leave this small town in Asbury. So I, uh, at the age of 17, signed up for the military in the delayed enlistment program. Looked at, looked at going to that, and the proclamation for me to leave was after my 18th birthday in March, once I graduated high school. I would leave for the military uh, January of 2002. Yeah, the beginning of January 2002. Right. And uh, I decided, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And I went to look at a career field that I kind of had some background information in because I had life skills. My grandpa taught me he was a master mechanic for MK Chevrolet in Tino, California. Yeah, so I did a lot of hands-on stuff with him, learning how to tear cars apart, put them back together, tinker with things. I was one of those kids that would... You look at a, a clock on the side of the bed and be like, "Ooh, let's see how that works." And I'd take it apart and attempt to put it back together,
3: <laughs> and
2: ultimately have to go buy a new clock. Is what it came down to. But you know, you learn the ins and outs of electrical work and you know a couple of electrocutions, but you're okay. Occasionally, you know? <laughs> twitch
3: every once in a while, but that's hey. how you learn. Right, right, right.
2: That's so uh, I signed up for the military, going into the late enlistment program in in uh, my graduate. My dad, grandpa, told me as a graduation gift. Um, he was going to fly me out to go see my mom in Pennsylvania. And I hadn't seen her since I was, I think, 10 years old. So eight years had gone by since I actually had some physical interaction with her. So I said, okay, awesome. It's an amazing gift. So I quit my job and he said, hey, I'm done. I'm going to go with my grandpa and then I'm going to ride this out until I'm ready to join the military in January. So we went uh, on our way out there at the beginning of September. I spent a week and a half with my mom. And in the process, my grandpa said, hey, we have family out in New York City in Staten Island. We're going to go visit them. And I was like, okay, that's awesome. We're going to get some opportunity yeah. chance to see family I've only talked to on the phone. They've only ever flew it to California, so I'm going to see them. So we get to Staten Island, and uh, as we're driving across the Ver- Arizona Bridge, my grandpa looks over. This is September 10th of 2001. Mm-hmm. And my grandpa says, hey, kids, uh, look at those two buildings over there. And I, to this day, still remember one had a green light, one had a red light at the top of it. And he goes, that's the World Trade Centers. Wow. And we're going to be there tomorrow morning for breakfast at the windows of the world in town or two. So, went, hung out with family, had a great family dinner, Italian family dinner, great food. Uh, we ended up falling asleep, and my grandpa, who's always prompt and on time, woke up like that. Um, didn't think anything about it, hopped in, our, hopped in the, walked down to the train system, got on the subway to go down towards the uh, ferry down there in Staten Island, got on the ferry, and watched the first plane hit the World Trade Center from the ferry, from the ferry. and, uh then was like my honest first opinion of it was this looked like a pyrotechnics i was like damn hollywood's getting good at this you know like yeah. that looks real and then watching the second one hit and seeing what was going on and noticing that that was something bigger than just two planes hitting a building. this was an obviously an attack on a, our own soil yeah and i made three phone calls that day it was my mom my dad to let him know i was alive and okay because Last time I talked to him that morning, I told them we were leaving for the for the World Trade Centers for breakfast, and I called my recruiter, and I was in the military thirty days later. Wow! Um, I showed up to Lackland Air Force Base, Texas. Uh, got off the the transport vehicle that we were put in this bus, and we were greeted with as though we were unknown to them that we weren't even Americans because at that point we were at a threat con level that was to be more strenuous because at that point we're trying to still figure out what's going on yeah. if this is going to happen again so we were scrutinized for, for who we were when our stuff was gone through and the next day i woke up and we were full-fledged into training and uh went straight from there to um c-130 school which is a, a hercules c-130 yeah. turboprop airplane all right to my opinion is the best air force airplane there is out there uh, got stationed in Ramstein Air Force Base, Germany, where I learned that at the age of 17, you can go to the shop and buy yourself a case of beer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and nobody says anything about it to you.
1: <laughs> so, so, so that's why every single military person we talk to says that Germany is, is, is amazing. Right? Yes, it's right there. That, is amazing. Right.
2: That's the underlying <laughs> reason. They just don't tell you that it's hidden yeah. in that like disclaimer location of why yeah. I
0: their while is happening happy. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I, was, no. I, was, I was. I was. just in the PX, you know, a couple days ago in that Patrick, uh, and and the amount of alcohol they sell in in, in, in at the PX, it's. it's it clearly they sell this much food right. and, and this much alcohol. Right, I mean right, everything. Right, I mean there was like a bottle of Louis Louis fifteen in there. I mean there was there was everything. Right. I mean it's, it's, <laughs> it's not the bottom shelf, it's the top shelf <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that you're looking at. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: So I walked out not knowing that what I saw on TV was Heineken. I figured it was German beer. I figured the name Heineken followed suit with the German beer. Totally wrong on my first day to realize that <laughs> um, while I was there. So I got to Ramstein Air Force Base in 2002, uh, learned how to become a C-130 mechanic where I uh, learned how to fix the airplane and fly with the airplane. So it was a flying mechanic.
3: Um,
2: I was in Ramstein and I got a, we got a call. The fly line was called all in. And we were all told to go grab our deployment bags had no idea what was going on. We we trained for this, but we had no idea. We took our airplanes to Aviano, Italy, loaded them up with anti-tank missiles, flew them back to Ramstein, dropped them off, and flew to Grafenbeer Journey, where we picked up the first ID and took them the first wave, the first ID down to to Little Iraq, Mm -hmm. where we waged war. Um, I remember being in the airplane and having the switch being flipped to our comm system, and it being President Bush... Declaring war so that as we're as we're flying over. Yeah. Wow. The moment he got done saying the word war, we took uh, service to air missiles coming at us and flak and all. Right this then, thing. right then. Yeah. It, was, wow. it was like it was like somebody flipped the switch. Like no joke. The moment like it was like waste. The moment Gosh. he finished that word war. Yeah, it was war out in front of this airplane. So.
0: Wow. You felt like you no,
2: know, this, uh,
0: this is this the is original. Like yeah. this, is, this is oh yeah. When we when we went in, 2000, in 2003. Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah. And it was the it, it was just the, the fact that the moment he made that statement that we went to war, it was like we're indeed. I'm in a C one thirty and you're watching things pop off, the airplane's shaking and rattling from explosions below it and, 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 and you're, you're flying, flying and we're, we're flying to this airplane. And I'm just like, Oh hey, right. I'm twenty nineteen years old and wow. I'm about to find out how my life is. <laughs> yeah. And you
1: um, you you were flying. No, so I was a
2: flying some was a flying mechanic. So okay. anytime the plane would leave, they would need a mechanic to go with them. So if they stopped at a location, I'd fix the airplane. Got so it. um I learned how to do that really quickly in my trade. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of the mechanics it takes a while for them to do that. I just started shadowing people. Mm-hmm. And I guess I shadowed the right person and the person just said, Hey, hop on this plane one day. Yeah. And we literally flew around Germany, the Horn of Africa. Um, let's see, by the time I turned twenty now, before I left Ramstein, I'd been to 43 countries before I turned 21. Wow. And and a lot of the only two places I tell my family that I've ever paid for was uh, Switzerland to go snowboarding and Prague to celebrate New Year's. <laughs> and did we celebrate? <laughs> oh, sure. So, but um, then from there, I got orders to um, Ramstein Air Base, Korea, where I got to suck on a gas mask, as our guys do here in OEW, but we did it for. Fun? No, no, no fun. No, no fun. Um, preparing for a war that still could wage at any moment,
3: which is a, a
2: true statement out there in Korea. Um, then I got orders to McCord Air Force Base, where um, I finished a total between Ramstein, uh, a deployment to the tsunami relief in Thailand while I was in Korea, to three more tours. So I did three to Iraq and three to Afghanistan. Uh, at, at finally in 2008, I did my last one to Afghanistan, and um, on our descent, we took a um, an RPG to our outboard motor, um, and coming on landing, and instead of it catching on fire, it embedded itself in the motor and caused an in-flight fire. The pilots took over pretty quickly, and and I, we all honestly, the pilot gave us the indication of, "Hey guys, this is how we end our life. It was great knowing you." And, wow. But the pilots swiftly came in, put the fire out while we're in flight. Uh, we landed at a Ford uh, operating base where EOD came out, removed the arm from the aircraft, and we flew home with a dead motor. So engine that didn't, that didn't operate at all. Um, came home, kissed the ground, was happy to be home, back to be on, on home soil. Um, went to what we call the redeployment line, and that's where we drop off our deployment gear, get our... Back to active duty station gear, so I go back to knowing my duty assignments, going back to work, reintegrating back into my normal life. Uh, got a flu shot, a nasal spray flu shot, and uh, 19 days later, woke up paralyzed and the neck down. From the flu shot. From the flu shot. Yeah. And uh, for two and a half years, I sat there with a tracheotomy, a feeding tube, and I was turned every two hours so that I didn't get a bed sore. Wow.
3: And
2: sitting there, honestly, I went down the the a, a very dark part in my life um, where I contemplated suicide and the only reason why I couldn't complete the act was I did not have the physical ability to do it. I had a pick line to my heart which gave me my medication to keep me from spazzing out uh, having a seizure and kept me from um from pain management And keeping antibiotics pumping in my system and steroids to make sure that the the virus that was in my body that was attacking my body from what started as my lower body all the way up to my upper body into my brain, which at the time I was told I had 42 lesions on my brain that were just eating away at everything that was keeping me alive. So they put me in a medically induced coma. I got out of that. I woke up in a rehab hospital looking at life going, all right, I'm going to be a quadriplegic for the rest of my life. I'm going to be a burden to those around me and the prognosis confirmed that that's exactly what the prognosis was from every doctor that ever rolled in or walked into the into my room told me this is where you're going to be so we're going to spend some time at this rehab hospital going through range of motion and just keeping your muscle tone at, at bay so it doesn't hurt yeah and uh for two and a half years i laid there getting some movement and one morning i woke up yelling at myself internally uh, move your stupid body. It's what I told myself in science. Wow. Move your stupid body. And after about the two and a half year mark, I left my hand a quarter of an inch off the bed. And from that moment, I knew that if I could do more than that, I could. if I could do that, I could do way more than where I'm currently at. Yeah. And it has been going on November the 18th of this month will be my 11 year alive day. So from the day that all this took over and now I'm able to walk short distances standing up with forearm crutches
1: wow so, so you're 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 i mean from one day to another you're completely able and, and you're you know and then the next day um you are paralyzed from the neck down right normal right. it's yeah. a, a normal, that's normal a, person
0: a, just so go to sleep.
1: the very
2: day before i became paralyzed i ran three and a half miles wow and that was the last memory I had when I woke up that next morning. When I rolled out of bed, when I rolled out of bed, my legs went with me as though like I just rolled out of a normal bed. But the moment I stood up to stand up, I collapsed, and my lower extremities were already showing paralysis, and I couldn't move any part of my body except for my upper arms. And I ended up crawling my way out of my bedroom. Good, so
0: so it's it so. It was the Fuchsia. Do they know why this happened? I mean, so is this is this a common thing? Is this, Has this ever happened before? So what
2: happened to me, I got diagnosed with, it's called acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, ADEM for short terms, and it happens to 0.01% of 100,000 people every year. So to, to put this out in a perspective that people can understand, eight people in a million get what happened to me. From the flu From the push-up. And, and, you know, I look at flu shot on two different levels. The flu is going to come every year. It doesn't matter how we, con- we, we fight this. What they give us is introducing something our body cannot fight off. Our body can fight off what is around us because that's what we're built for. We, we are built to fight from either sweating it off to, hey, it'll pass in two days to, to the concept. So the flu shot is something that's introduced to our body that our body cannot fight off. And in my case, I was given the live virus, which is a nasal spray, instead of the inoculation. And instead of it getting me sick and causing me to have flu symptoms, it started eating away the fatty tissue on my spinal cord. Wow. And and that's what left me paralyzed. Is on the on your nervous system, there's a fatty tissue called your myelin sheath, and that's what protects it from invasion and all this other stuff that we deal with on a daily basis. Everything around us affects us every single day, from the toxins in the air to everything. And yeah. it's just something that's what our body is built to do. We are a fighting machine, even though we don't have to physically do it. Our body
0: does it for us. Mm-hmm. But the fact that this is a thing, like it actually happens, like how the hell do people just even do flu shots? I mean, the, the flu is not going to kill you. You no. know? I mean, no. it's, I mean, I understand tuberculosis. I understand right. malaria. I understand like extreme but but... But the flu, like, even even if there's a, a, a zero point, I mean, even if it's one in 10 million, yes. they should never even allow to people have to have a flu shot. That's it's crazy. 100% agree with you. And what
2: happens to me is there are so many different variations of injury to, yeah. to flu shots. And it's not just what happened to me. There's different things that happen. There's transverse myelitis, which is uh, paralysis from the waistband. And that yeah. number is even higher. guillain is even higher than that. And it still happens. And that's the biggest thing I try to explain something. What we're doing by paying for this flu shot, and I don't care how you look at it in any form or fashion, you are padding the pharmaceutical pockets twice. One, when I give you the flu shot, who your doctor recommends and mandates or says, you must get your flu shot. When you do get sick from the flu shot, which nine out of 10 people start to get, still get the flu symptoms. They run to Walmart, Walgreens, the doctor. You either get a pack yep. you either go to get Robitussin, you go know, thermo flu whatever you want to go. congratulations that pharmaceutical company owns not only the flu shot but also the remedy right. so i'm giving you the injury and i'm also giving you the way to correct it. so all you're doing at that point is patting their pockets and every year the cdc they just came out and literally said the percentage of how much this shot was affected and the number is so low to compare to how much it wasn't affected that it's it's astonishing that people will even still go get a, a shot. When you, when you know the difference is so low, like you you, you put out a number, say 6%, it was affected. Yeah. Up, what about the other 94% that it wasn't affected? That number's higher than it was affected. I mean, 50-50, okay, I'll yeah. give it to you. It's a probability chance. Yeah. You know, one and two, you know, that kind of stuff. But when the numbers
0: three and four get yeah. get hurt, like it's like, this yeah. makes no sense. But the pharmaceutical companies have done such a good job at this, that, that some people think you you're crazy for not having a flu shot like like straight up i've been what? holding like do you need to get a flu shot you need to get a flu shot you need to get your kids a flu shot and i'm like really man yeah. i mean and i and i i just i just don't want to get a shot or something that's that's just going to give you the sniffles for a couple of days man. <laughs> you know but but now that i i mean i know this i mean dude, this, this this is just crazy right? and then there are diseases out there that we have
2: eradicated polio things that we have proven the fact that it has happened, we yeah. have eradicated it from vaccines because we created it. But the fact that this thing has to be recreated every single year, yeah. is the, the biggest thing it comes down to is the same flu that you got is not the same flu. So say we are in the same, you snooze yeah. on me, I get it. What's in you is not in me. It's already mutated. It's already changed. It's already morphed itself into something different. Or polio, or something along those yeah. lines, is what it is, you know. Yeah. And if you can er- eradicate it from a vaccine, or or something in, in, that we've already proven, yeah. that makes more sense, you know. So people come to me like, and that's a thing I get told all the time. You're an anti-vaxxer. I'm like, no, I'm not saying no to anti vaccines I'm just telling you, there's no need for a flu shot. For a flu yeah, right? Yeah. Because even in even in, and a lot of people, are like, people die from from not getting the flu shot. That's a total lie. They die from complications. A lot of that comes down to. You were sick, and you didn't go see somebody because you were sick. You let it just get so bad that you died of pneumonia or you died of something. Something in your body couldn't fight it off. So now you have to go get something. Why introduce yourself? At that point, you're already giving yourself the loaded weapon. Yeah, I mean, you're already sick.
3: Yes,
0: go to the doctor where you're already sick. But why? It's like... It's like you know, this weekend we're jumping off perfectly good airplanes, right. Know, right? But but there's a reason for that. But why would you get yourself sick when you're completely it's, healthy? It's like knowing your parachute has
2: holes. Yeah, I'm gonna go jump out of airplane. I know it's got holes in it, but the probability of something happening could be this. It, it, but it's still got holes, and the <laughs> underlying
3: thing is it's still got holes. Hey, that's
1: yeah. Wow, Chris, that's 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 crazy, and, and um the thing is too, that many professionals are required by their job to get a flu shot, right? Right. So it's to that level too, that look, if you're a, a nurse, if you're a paramedic, if you are uh, in, in any profession that deals with um, injured people or sick people, you're you're required to take a flu shot, so.
2: But, but, then, but then the concept comes down to, are you required because your exposure to somebody could have it, or is it because the doctor who's saying you must have it, if you're in, you know, say you're the doctor of this hospital, you're the director, what is he getting in return? Or what is the hospital getting in return for having, you know, this company's flu shot in the hospital? Yeah, you know, okay. he, and, and, that makes, and I know in, in, a, in a medical field, you're you're in contact with everything else, but you're in contact with blood more than you are when it comes to everything else. Good. And we protect ourselves against that. We've got gloves. So a lot of my friends who are nurses are told, well, if you don't get, it, you got to wear a mask. Fine, if that's what the if that's the downfall, I'd rather take a mask because then they can just take it off, throw it in the trash, and go home. You know, yeah. you know, I don't have to worry about the, the possibility of looking at paralysis or looking at. Right. I mean, there's a girl who got a flu shot for the the, the Washington Redskins, and she got what's called dystonia, and it is no joke that she can't stop having tremors while walking slowly, she starts having body tremors that she can't control. But if she walks backwards, it stops. Or if she runs, it stops. But the moment that she stops and does yeah. a normal walk, she goes through full body tremors. And it's because her nervous system was so attacked by, by this this vaccine that it, it, it's, 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 it's manufactured to, for the purpose. I mean, and a lot of the biggest things that comes down to we, we, we know what's happened and they came out and said, okay, no mercury in, in, in these shots, okay, yeah. fine. We know mercury is in our shots, but they didn't say anything about the stockpile of mercury shots we had sitting around. They said, no more new production of mercury shots. And it's like, well, that does not solve the problem. That just makes it go away in the Mm -hmm. 10 years from now. How much much of this do you have stockpiled that it doesn't matter? And and they're all happy to oblige by this rule of no mercury. You're like, yeah, "Yeah, that's new production. They didn't say anything about old production.
0: They didn't talk about my stock that's sitting in here. Talk about a business, man.
1: Talk about uh, a double dipping. Yeah, Jesus. Right. Okay, so Chris, uh, two years in bed, right? Yeah. Two years in bed. After two years, you basically beat yourself up mentally. Yeah. And, and, and you're able to lift your hand two inches? Is, is that what you said? A quarter, a quarter of an inch. A quarter of an inch. Wow. Yes. But that gives you hope. Yes. That, 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 that little movement that you made gives you hope to, to keep fighting. Right? Yes. So tell us, so tell us more. Start what started, happened after that?
0: Like, like or you found out you started this, then how did you get from that to freaking running a beast in, like, two weeks ago, dude?
2: <laughs> so laying in hospital bed, lifting my, my hand a quarter of an inch off the bed, like the look on the face, not my own, obviously I can't see in the mirror, but the look on my face of my nurse seeing that happen in front of her. like. At first, she thought it was a spasm, but she saw me do it again, and it was just like, all right. From there, what they did is they started introducing electrical therapy, and that is to, to fire off the muscle belly with an electrical source to get it to, to, to fire off more. And what that did, honestly, honestly, was very painful in the outcome of everything. Not now, but at the time, because what that did it was open up nerves that didn't have connectivity and I went through the worst pain stage of my life. I, I went from every narcotic all the way to methadone. And just to get the pain to go away, but I knew that if I had that pain, that was a sign of something.
3: Yeah, And okay. I would
2: I would feel the pain radiate from one side of my body to the other. It's like, all right, so trying to break through that was one big barrier that I had to get through. Once we were able to get my medication under control, they started doing a little more electrical uh, uh, therapy, and what I got at first was just movement in my left hand. So I was able to, to start slowly with the electrical. There's a glove that fires off, and they'll put the electro, uh, electrodes here and fire it off where it would squeeze it. And then eventually they would have me hold on to a ball, and that ball would squeeze, and it would start to get muscle tone in the hand. Mm-hmm. And then they did something that I honestly would have thought would have been something from somebody's, like, brain, like, experimental stuff. And yeah. And it was, once I had my left hand and I was able to do motion with my left hand, I had nothing on my right side. I would, I would be able to lift it up because once I did um, therapy, it's weird that the body knows how to correct itself when one side strengthened, yeah. the other side would strengthened. too. And it was just weird to do that. But with this motion, it's actually more than just muscle belly. It's nerves and everything else that go along with it. So what they did is they stuck my left hand into a box. Okay. And in between this is a mirror that mimics the other side. So they slid my other hand in the other side and had me squeeze my left hand. And we did it for two days. And I was like, this is a joke. Like, this makes no sense. Why are we doing this? On the second day, they pulled my arm out. And, I went, and what it is is it remapped my brain to think that it was my right side moving, even though it was my left side. Wow. And, it, and it's weird how the body works. And it was just that your brain is – your body and everything we go through is a muscle memory. Going back to what I remember before, well, obviously, two years has gone by, so the memory of it is deep, deep down inside. You know, I, I honestly, did, right now, if you ask me, like, do you remember what it feels like to run? And I was like, nope, because it's, like, it's been so long. You know, and that's the biggest concept is once my hand knew that I could do that, it remapped itself to make it my uh, right side. And from there, we went to another electrical stem instead of firing it. How so they able to get my hand grip, and from there, then they introduced me, which is a uh, fly press machine. And it's uh, I literally got my arms strapped to, to to pads, and once I got to this point, I just barely pushed every single day, barely pushed and barely pushed. And every day I would go a little bit more, a little bit more. To the point when I left the hospital, I was able to completely bring my arms. Completely. I mean, there's no there's no weight on it per se. Like they would add like small little two pound weights for nothing. Yeah. You'd see it in a gym now where people are like, oh, that's like two hundred pounds. I can I can fly yeah. press this. I can fly press two hundred pounds. And so, no, no way. At this point, I am I am baby muscle. I went I was twenty five years old when this happened. To like a three-year-old, maybe even less you know what? Probably like a six-month-old when it comes to like the actual muscle tone and all that other stuff. So I had the girth of the muscle, but I had no strength at all. And uh, slowly started working my body to the point where they would go, and then I was given access to the wee fit, and they strapped a controller in my hand and I started bowling. No joke, started bowling, and I was able to get swing motion in my shoulders. Tried the other side, swing motion in my shoulders. And when I left the hospital, and about a little bit over the two and a half year mark, I was able to roll myself out of the hospital on my own.
1: Wow, how many how many hours a day were you doing? Uh, it was three
2: solid hours, an hour off, and then another three solid hours.
1: Wow, full-time so job.
0: Dude, mentally, like, you know, obviously when when this happened and you had that 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 entire thing, you know, I wanna, I wanna end this, it's, this is not happening, but so mentally, I mean, the the hope of you getting better every day did that did that kept you going like what kept you going through all this
2: because i mean it's it's
0: it's i mean it's 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 crazy you know but but i how how were you mentally throughout this until you could actually roll yourself into in, in, out, out of the hospital you know? well honestly every day was a swing because there was days i would see motion yeah. and then i would see their setback
2: but a lot of that comes down to once you fire off a muscle and you don't fire it a lot, and then you fire a whole bunch of times, you can't do it the next day because the muscle's tired.
3: Yeah. And, and I didn't know that
2: because I didn't have the feeling. So to me, it was like I would go and do presses one day and be all the way up this far, and the next time I would be like, like I couldn't do nothing. I was like, this is – and it felt like it was constant setback after setback after setback.
1: After so, so you're you're basically failing through this yes. whole thing.
2: Yes. That's it. And, that, and that's what it sucked because it was like I would see all this forward progress for one day, and the next day, nothing. It was like, well, what's the point of showing me I can do this when I can't do it the next day? You know, obviously, as as the body, as I would get more and more strength, my endurance would go further, my my stamina would allow me to do okay. I do presses one day, and I can do a little bit more than it was the day before, and that kind of stuff. So, I started getting a lot of that was trying to find the internal fight within myself because after two and a half years, I was at my point of giving up. I was like, if if this is what I'm going to be the rest of my life. You know, I, this is what the doctor says I'm going to be. This is what this paper says this is what I'm going to be. This is what my therapist has trained me to do. This is all I can do. And I had a therapist come in every two hours in range of motion. all they did. They would take my arm and move it up and down, move it side by side, and that's it. And, I, and, and, and then she'd be like, can you feel this? And I, all, all I could feel, honestly, was the fact of the air that she was causing that would rush past my body. That's it. I couldn't feel the muscle move. I couldn't feel my arm lift off the bed. I had zero feeling. So, going through, like, trying to understand what the feeling felt like was, like, to explain it, it's, like, constantly having, like, a dead leg where it's asleep without the tingling, where it doesn't matter what you do, it's not moving, you know, until you finally get blood flowing and all that other stuff. too. So, that's what it constantly felt like every single day, but trying to find the internal fight, that was my biggest thing, my biggest hurdle that I had overcome. And what got me through that was realizing, going back to the moment when I lifted off my that quarter of an inch. Yeah. I figured, well, crap, if I could do that, there, what more yeah. can I do with this? Let's, yeah. let's add another quarter of an inch. What's that, you know? Yeah. you know, And, and at, at that moment, I would have never known that my lower body was coming back. You know, it took so long for my lower body because that was the one that was attacked the most, yeah. was the lower body. So that part atrophy completely I, I was at one point I could put my hand around my ankle and touch fingertip to fingertip and, and it just there was nothing there nothing you know wow. and, and electrical therapy brought some of that back a lot of it was finding uh, you know an internal push of trying to figure out what I could do with what my lower legs you know if it was from you know leg presses with with like pushing a ball or something you know learning to find up a piece of equipment that wasn't like at your average gym just I'm gonna try this. See if this works or not.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: All right. You,
0: but but, we but you out were out of the hospital, hospital. right? They're like you 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 finally got your arms, right? So so you were out of the hospital, and then then what, what? did you do with your life? So I went back to
2: active duty military from that point on. Right, right, right back, right back to active duty military, where they said, okay, well, you're not an aircraft mechanic. You're trained to be an aircraft mechanic, and you're an NCO. What can we do with you? And the thing is, within the Air Force. You have to be medically stable, which means no medical appointments, no inpatients, no medical visits of any type besides like doctor visits or physical therapy yeah. you know, for more than one for uh, for a year. Okay. so I go through this time frame i I go back they send me back to uh, to work in a hangar so instead of working on a flight line I, like I was doing before, I went to now became a maintenance supervisor where I monitored the maintenance that was being done on the aircraft so I was a scheduler, I would schedule maintenance, I would schedule my workers and that kind of stuff. So I went back to doing the same capacity that I was doing, but at like an NCO that would be like, a, like an e, E6 or higher. At this point, I was an E5, and as the staff started in the Air Force, and I was like, okay, I can do this job. While I was in, um, I tested for my E6 and made it on my first try in a chair. So I made uh, tech sergeant, and in my career field at the time, the cutoff to make uh, E6 like an average was 13 years. Okay. And at this point, I was only at my eight and a half year mark, and I had made it on, on the cutoff score to be able to make it in eight and a half years. So I was like, okay, well, made my promotion, and they said, okay, we need somebody to start taking over uh, a section. Now you're in a role where you're supposed to be in charge of people making bigger changes. I took over an office that controlled uh, uh, training. And it was deployment training, reoccurring training for, uh, for training for looking at uh, getting upgrades, that kind of stuff, and you know, in in doing different things. So we went from an overdue rating. Of, I think it's like 22 of percent, squadron wide, of these people that were overdue for for their training, and and it just come down to we're 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 pack animal type things. If you give us an option, we're going to choose the easiest one and probably not show up. And I got to the point when I was in the Air Force, I just said, "Hey, this is your schedule. This is your day. This is where you're going." And eventually, people started listening, and our and our rating went below 2% for Squadron Y. And I was like, well, I can do this from this position. The moment I started grasping that I could do this from this position is when the Air Force said, congratulations, you're in your year where you're not in the hospital and here's your retirement your retirement orders." So uh. <laughs> I got medically retired in March of 2012. And I went to work for the FAA afterwards. Um, enjoyed the job but didn't get to the knew that I was hired as a window warrior and that program was not going to allow me to promote outside that position. And, and being in the military, once you're in that position you learn it, you hone your skills, then you learn what it takes to take the next step on. That's just how we are. We're all about uh, making sure that we progress in our own our own field, learning more and more as we go. And I I I got a blank look in their face when I asked them what it took to, to get out of this position and and I, and in, Knowing the other person that was in my counter position, yeah. she'd been in it for 18 years. So it didn't look like I was going anywhere. And I was like, this is not for me. So I um, said to myself, you know what? I'm going to do something to hone back on my skills. So I went started to look at um, shooting archery at a Paralympic club, oh, nice. trying, to, trying to become a Paralympian from shooting at, at tournaments and getting classified and doing all this stuff. But at the same time, I was being introduced to adaptive sports as a whole, not right. just hey, you went and shot arrows, okay, that's great, but what makes you different when it comes to adaptive is taking something that is considered norm, modifying it and doing it for the injury which you have or your current limitations. So my first introductory introduction to adaptive-type outdoor sports was skiing, and an organization called Outdoor Sprawl out of Washington State um, got me involved with um, uh, monoskiing which is to sit on in a bucket with a single ski and bomb mountains for fun. That's what it came down to. All right, <laughs> And uh, it was fun. I, I I ate a lot of powder. <laughs> <laughs> from maybe either coming off the ski or, I don't know, maybe rolling a couple times down the hill. But, hey, it, at least it's snow. It's like water. Just frozen. Yeah. <laughs> um, from there, I started to look at what adaptive sports can do to my life. And my wife and I um, started looking at – Adaptive sports around the United States. So we got introduced to a, a circuit from the VA, uh, the, the Valor Games, and, and they have them all around the United States in all four corners during the year. And it is adaptive sports where you compete with people close to your injury level from everything from weightlifting to, to rowing. I mean, it, there's it's endless what we can do. Um, what I love about the adaptive world is give me something that's considered in the able body world, give it to me something that's in the adaptive world, and you're going to see this person work, in my opinion, harder than this person because what they're going to do is going to push their limitations where this person's just pushing to the point where they train to. Where this person's giving everything they've got to, yeah. I train to this level.
0: Let's talk about, I mean, a lot of athletes, I don't know if, if that happened to you, but what I've heard from from Lopez, from Merrill, from the st- stuff like that, that they – they're always in pain. Also, yeah. You know, it's not just it's not just the limitation. But it's dealing with the constant pain. Yes. You know, I, I once asked Lopez, like, dude, like, like, you know, how it feels like to to run that in, in New York City marathon. You know, it's just like, dude. I mean, he has a reconstructed leg. And he's like, dude, I'm always in pain. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not it's not sometimes. You know, when we're when we're able, you know, we we get we get blisters or we start like, getting an IT band, and we're like, like you're you're saying, man. Like, Man, I mean, I gotta walk from now. You know, I mean, these guys are doing it, man, and it's—they're just dealing with it, you know.
2: And, and that's a lot of it in our world, especially if your injury is a neurological injury or something that affects the nervous system. From that and the residual pain, you, none of us are gonna be able to tell somebody who doesn't understand it what it feels like because it isn't something like a chronic pain of a muscle that feels like it's weak or you yeah. overstrenuated that muscle. It is something deep down inside that your body is screaming at you from the inside. Yeah. But there's nothing I can do to stop it but push through it, you know, or let it be a part of my life and let it understand sometimes my leg will just spasm like crazy. We just let it go and we laugh at it, you know. And that's the biggest thing was, like, trying to learn. That's the biggest thing in the adaptive world is trying to learn your injury the best you can to, one, what makes it worse, what makes it better, and to live with there's times you can't do either one of them. Yeah. Just let it know that it's going to be a part of your life, you know. And yeah. and you, know, you said like we, you get a blister, that kind of stuff. But each one of us has our own enemy. I don't care what it is. I, don't, I mean, we all have to deal with some type of setback in our life. It's how you react to that setback that sets you up for who you are. Oh yeah. And 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 that's the biggest thing. Like you can either cry about it, wallow in it, or move on
0: it and say, see you later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like uh, Amanda Sullivan, you know, she, she said something to me in the employee, in 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 you know, and she, she's like, are you going to focus on the darkness or are you going to focus on the sun that's going to rise the next day? Know it's, it's up to you. It's really, it's really up to you. I think the biggest thing that I, like, I live my life by
2: is the understanding, and you said it in, in your quote up with me, is tough times don't last, tough people do. Yeah. And, and, and I heard that from a UCLA Bruins coach. Like gave it as a speech to his winning team in, in the 90s. Mm. As that, that, that halftime pep talk release, like, what are you going to do with this? Yeah, That's the biggest thing is you have this one opportune chance to change what your current situation is now. Are you going to be this person now that you're talking about here or a completely changed person that is thinking about what that person used to be tomorrow?
0: Yeah, you know, and, and and in in life, you know, not just not just you know physically, but you know, in in general, in our jobs, in in our careers, in in, a, in a, being an entrepreneur, you know, it's it's you know, actually, Rudy Reyes said that to me, like change your situation, improve your situation, you know, and like you know, I, I hear people all the time, you know, saying things like, all right, you know, minimum wage sucks, man, and you got to raise the minimum wage, and it's like, have you thought of actually? Earn a learning a skill that that will get you above minimum wage right. you know and, and that's it just applies in everything in life you know in, in school and everything you do it's just dude you, you it's up to you to improve your situation it's not it's not it's not the government it's not right. your parents exactly. it's, it's you gotta do it and, and 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 you know in your case you you had to you know i mean you you were forced to and, and, and you were able to overcome it but it's as it, it makes us able guys man think I mean look seem like coaches really because <laughs> I mean dude, it's like we complain about the, the stupidest things man and it's just
2: amazing and, that, and that's the thing is like in this when I was in the Spartan world you see somebody that is going through with an injury and then you go by with my freedom great chair you know and you yeah. see me crank through this hill and but what I see is how that person saw what I did and that wheel turning in their head. You could see it oh, because yeah. they're just like, not not the fact like, well, look, this guy can do it. It's like now you start to think this person's thinking for themselves. Like oh, yeah. what can I do to make this situation first of all? I get to finish this race. That's yeah. really good thing. this I can put behind me because it's gonna end once I cross that finish line because yeah. whatever's causing this injury, I'm not gonna be forcing down pressure on it, so I can go rest. So, and that's the biggest thing. Like I said, with Amanda Sullivan, the same concept. Like you're gonna be in the dark part of life, or you're gonna be where the light is. Yeah. And 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 I I got to see my first race with her at uh, Loft. Okay. And just seeing her, pushed, yeah, it and is. seeing
0: her push through that was just like whoa, like oh dude, I mean this this girl and and and, and you know she I became friends with her in 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 um, in the Agobie, and dude she she's she's saying all right I I gotta do this 60 hour no sleep race and uh, and and she's she's saying you know what keeps me through it is my unicorn duct tape like she stands she takes the crutches and and tapes unicorn duct tape, pink duct tape to her crutches and she's like that's what keeps me going dude and then, you know she's she's doing miles and miles and miles of these crutches I mean she literally um, decided to to amputate her leg this year you know as we as we all know and and to 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 get out of the crutches and now she has a blade. And you know, we're all following her journey of yeah. her learning how to walk again with a blade and she's like, I was able to take five steps with a blade yeah. and and it, it's just it's just amazing and how, it, how and seeing the light in her face change from the first day she
2: amputated it yeah. to where she is now. Like if you could just do a time lapse video of just pictures. Oh yeah, yeah. You would watch this woman who is already defeated a lot yeah. through her injury that she had one after another and then see these progression that she's changed who she was. That, that they say who she wasn't supposed to be and where she is now yeah. killing it with a leg that she, you know that she decided to amputate and then seeing this picture change and I don't I, I remember seeing her with the walking prosthetic that the the blade that was just there. And yeah. just seeing her look on her face and she walked down the street and came back. Yeah. And it was just like whoa and now with the blade and the whole night I and watching her the first day she she said on her page was like the first day without crutches. And I was like, whoa, who is this woman? Like, yeah, like, oh look it's the crutches
0: tiger and he was like but it's not it's, it's literally amanda like
3: this is so cool to see
0: yeah dude with you what what i what amazed me the most you know when we did the dallas beat then is is how happy you were and, and 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 you were encouraging everybody you know i mean you're you're going through this thing and you're pulling an atlas an atlas ball i mean a hundred pound atlas ball and 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 pretty much I was with you the entire time, and and, and every single person that came across you, you're like, you can do this, right. you're smiling at these people, man, and you and just your attitude, man, and, and you know it, it's dumb because we that that's that's the picture I originally put in this, in you know when I when I posted about you, man, but you know we're going down this hill, and and, and everybody, you know, whatever, the mad athletes, everybody's like holding back so that so that you can go up this super steep hill. And you know we see the water station man, and, and we see that Spartan had put a porta potty yes right on top of a of a flatbed truck. You know I guess because it was probably hard to get it back in when like, it's full, you know, yeah. and right in the middle of of, of, a, of a race. And you know obviously it's not handicapped accessible at all. And, and you're like, dude, you gotta get a picture of this man. You gotta get a picture, and and you get in right next to the flatbed truck man, and you're like. You know, and I'm I'm snapping a picture, <laughs> like you know, and just just your attitude throughout this entire thing, man. Just I mean, we were in we were in there for nine hours, yeah. You know, and 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 that just amazes me how 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 you have that positive attitude, you know. And then I get to meet your amazing family, you know, and your children, and just how positive they all are, and and how you are with them, it's just it's just amazing. And the biggest thing, like with OEW, they're
2: of their, you know, they commitment to make sure that they honor empower and motivate yeah and, and that was what i my biggest thing like people tell me all the time you're an inspiration i don't tend to be an inspiration and you'll you'll talk to a lot of adaptive athletes and people with injuries and that kind of stuff i'm not out here to to prove to anybody else for myself that yeah. i can do something that's the first thing it comes down to i want to motivate somebody who's sitting where i was 10 years ago yeah to see that i'm doing this now and I want to motivate them to let them know that there's something out bigger than themselves right now that's out there. You just have to find it. And, and, and whatever it is from a Spartan race to you becoming scuba dive certified, skydive certified, if there's something that's out there that maybe you wanted a new prior to your injury or maybe you were born with this injury. You know, there's nothing in this world, and I tell this all the time, I hate the word I can't. And I got told a lot by the doctors, you can't do that, you can't do this. And this is what I tell a lot of people. When the world tells you you can't, tell the world to sit back and watch from what I'm about to do. Yeah. And, and, and and doing that allows me to understand that there's nothing out there in the world that I can't do. I don't care what it is. I The way that I'm gonna look at it this way is the way you say I can't do it, I'm gonna do it some way or another that benefits me, even I have to modify it to the point where it looks like I'm bubble wrapped from head to toe to do this and, and the reason why I'm bubble wrapped or whatever it is that I am, is for my safety so I don't hurt myself anymore because I know that I can put, I can push myself past my injury that I currently have and do damage and reset myself back to day one. I know that. But what I can do is realize, okay, this harness or this rope or, or something that I can do to put safety as the forefront in front of me, I'm going to do that first. That way I know that I'm not going to go backwards. That's, I have to understand that. Yeah. Going backwards is the worst thing I want to do. Yeah, I want to yeah. move forward. I get with my, with, with doing Spartan races, I can twist my leg and then be down for a little while. But I'm still going to push this
0: part of my body, not the side that's twisted. I'm not going to stop. That's the biggest thing. So, dude, you, you'd be surprised how many people, you know, and, and, you know, I, I follow the whole Lopez thing and I try to Lopez people into a Spartan races all the time, you know, and, and, uh, and you'd be surprised how many people just tell, just tell me, oh, yeah, you know, I got to train, I got to be in shape for this. And, 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 and it's just, you know they, these I mean, and and I see people in shape. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and the coaches in my gym and that they're they like, "No man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in shape enough to lose part the race, man." And I now I have your now I have your videos. You oh, know, okay, like, okay. And I do myself. So I just take out the video, man, and you like check this out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like,
2: and I tell everybody really the only thing that's a shape is a, is a is a circle, and you're not a circle. Yeah. You know, it's not a, you're not a square, you're not you're not a it triangle. Is. So when you say you're not in shape, like. You're not yeah, a square, really? you're not a circle, you're, you're not a that's rectangle. A, that's a good one. But man. that's what I'm <laughs> answer people. I'm not in shape because, like, well, well, circles aren't doing it either. Or, 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 or rectangles aren't out there. There are people doing this. And, and I know people that have seen a sign from the side of the road that said Spartan Race, and they showed up in Chuck uh, Taylor's or something that they were not prepared to do a race, and they're out there doing it. There's, there's nothing that stops in here. Yeah, and that, I think the biggest thing is you need to get past this, yeah. which is the biggest barrier in our world, to, to let yourself know that what you're about to do is not just bigger than you. It's bigger than yourself because what you can do is show somebody else who may be at the level you're at that you can do it.
0: Why can't they? Yeah, and, you, and, and actually, my, my brother and I have been kind of start, trying to start a movement called No Excuses November, you know, because right. it's just people are making excuses about everything you know from from their work to 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 their fitness to their nutrition and and that's exactly it and i mean it's it's why put an excuse on, on something you know actually lopez told me a lot of that because you know one day at my left hand you know with spartan i actually had to start using my left hand because you're used to always being a writer, right, right, right and you know i literally told lopez one day man you know, dude, I can't write, I can't do anything with my left hand. You know, I, I think I actually told him, dude, I can't even wipe my ass with my ass. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Right left hand. You know? and, and he's like, why not? Just put his sling on it, put his sling on your right hand what? and just use your left hand for a month and you'll be able to do everything, man. Mm-hmm. Dude, I've, to- I've told probably that to 20 people in my life, throughout my life. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh yeah, man, you know, your left hand, that sucks, man. You know, and, and Lopez, the one right, right, right. <laughs> you know, on man one <laughs> yeah he's like he's like dude just do it I'm like yeah, man man you know it's it, it just puts up for the whole perspective so, you're you, you talking about how like, my kids are
2: involved in everything that goes in. i have uh, three beautiful kids and a beautiful wife so i have a nine-year-old her name's carly she's loving taekwondo killing us taekwondo my four-year-old's also in taekwondo and their total program loves every bit of it is my harvard copy for me when i was a kid And then I have a younger uh, baby boy, Patton, and his name is, or he's uh, almost six months old coming here in the middle of this month. And uh, my daughter got introduced to another amputee who's also Lopez's friend, uh, Norby. Okay. And Norby has an amputation, and she spent the whole two days tugging her arm in her sleeve. She wanted to know how Norby lived his life. Okay. Because she's like, well, I have two arms. He has one. He's had an amputated. How do you live that lifestyle? She did that for two solid days. She walked around the house, arm tucked in her, in her shirt to realize what it was like. And you could see the, the the thought process with her head was, okay, well, obviously opening a jar is different and, and opening doors and, and doing these other things, but she started to adapt her own body without even thinking about it. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it just comes so natural to us when, when even in this you know industry when in my side of it when you start doing stuff from a chair things that are higher that are you use broomsticks you use something you use something to get what you need to you know, otherwise you're just left going i'm not eating you know so yeah. you have to look at life as and this is the biggest thing i have to say this is like the world's not going to adapt for me i adapt for this world. yeah you know, a lot i mean wow. in, in the in the parent community it's hard to expect an expectation that something's going to be there, readily available for you for your injury. We're not there. We, we have ADA laws that are in place, but I watch people park right in front of open cutaways. And ignorance, number one thing it comes yeah. down to, a lot of it's not understanding. You know, yeah. and, 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 and coming from an area where they don't have a lot of that is the biggest thing. Yeah. But at the same time, I know that the world itself, I mean, I got introduced to a guy, uh, Brian Anderson. He's a triple amputee he's up from the army and he told me of a story and it's and i didn't think about it until until he started telling the story and every hotel we that you go to and as an able-bodied person it does it's not affected by you guys because you were able to fix this but the cleaning lady or cleaning person will go ahead and take the shower head and turn it towards the wall have you ever been in there well yeah. and, 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 or they plug the they plug the hole for for the shower Okay. Too, one way or another, one of those things are done in a shower. No. I don't know if it's a, a manual thing or it's just something that they do to make sure it's clean or somebody comes by and if it's not plugged, that's how it's, it's a notification that it's clean or not. Okay. So I don't know what it is, but he gets in there and it is literally the worst one for him as an amputee. The shower head is turned towards the wall. And he said he looked at himself was like, well, I'm either going to take no shower or I'm going to figure this out. And he talks tells the story where he bumped himself up to the, the seat of the toilet, bumped himself to the top of the toilet, used his one arm to, to swing and use his body to move the shower head over. And, and but just to take a shower. So he only has his left arm. One of his, so he has a prosthetic on one side, okay. and and then the rest of it, is, he has a natural, his, his natural arm. And I can't remember which right or left. Okay. okay. But he used himself to swing off of the bar
0: okay. to be able to move it to get this through. Yeah, something that we take for granted that it's so simple. Right. You know? and, but what what's funny is the way he's explaining it in his head how he's thinking about yeah. the things
2: that are going through, and you, and you start to think like as you go through. Uh, an obstacle of course, yes especially like a spartan yeah what's in front of you what is it that is stopping you first of all you look at your body and you're like okay well this is a let's say you know in our in our case where we did the, and i hadn't done this yet and it was amazing because every single time we came upon this we have a option to skip it and it's uh, a rope climb okay yes. and we roll up and they're like threw a harness on me threw a rope over the top and allowed me to pull myself over and under to the top where I rang the bell. And then that feeling of being able to do it. So when I came to that hospital, that's the first thing that went through my mind is thinking, okay, well, can I tie off here? Can I do this? Like, how do I do this with my current limitations? And that's what's going through our head constantly of the smallest obstacle in front of us, if it'd be jumping a curve to, in this case, rope climbing. You know, And that's what you find in the adaptive community world is how we look at things on a different level. And a lot of it's realizing it's not going to be this as the same person that's right next to you watching this person just zip through something that would be considered normal, yeah. but I'm going to do it one way or another to, to better myself, in my opinion, or I'm going to better it for somebody else. So I, and, and there's times I think. Yeah. But what that is, failure to me, and it was explained to me, failure is not true failure. Failure is letting you know where your starting point is next time. Yeah, because you're not going to allow that to happen again. You're not going to try to do it that same way again. I've already changed how I'm going to do it. I'm going to yeah. do it this way instead. So it's taking that failure instead of wallowing in it and going, well, that's what I'm going to start next. Time, and then realize that there's a next step on top of that. And it may take six or seven times.
0: Yeah, But at the same time, you accomplish it, as we always say the mission. Yeah. And now to the present, I mean, you skydived today, right? Yeah. I mean, you jumped out an everything <laughs> today. <laughs> and... Uh, and then you, you're you actually working towards ground school so that you can get your own, you get skylight by yourself, right? Yes. Good.
2: And, and, and that feeling, being able to do something that, had you asked me two years ago, even, even months ago, this would have been something that's a potential for me to be able to do. I look at myself now with knowing this is a possibility now yeah. and where it used to be a dream or, you know, oh, I'd love to do this. It'd be something that's on there. Being able to do this now, but looking at what it's going to take physically to for me to break my limitations, but what that's going to open up me to be able to do, so I can be on the road in an estate and drive by where it says uh, skydive i thirty five. I'm going to go skydive i thirty five. You know, <laughs> you know, and that and that's what I love about what we do is seeing once we have made these changes in our own life of taking those changes in adapting and using them not where our current home is yeah. but using them somewhere else and pushing our limitations or going and seeing a new adventure that now I have this potential but what I love the best is that person that's on the sideline seeing this yeah. seeing you do something and and I, I mean later I got contacted yeah two days ago on my drive down here and a guy's like dude I'm super jealous about what you're able to do and I'm like join us that's what my answer to him was. Exactly. And, I was, and, and he like looked at me, and he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, there is nothing you can't do. Join us. Come be a part of this. Do something where you can do the same exact thing that we can get a guest show So Zoe
0: Zoe just just showed up and lay in the bed, so if you guys see shaking.
2: Zoe! <laughs> Zoe! Lensi! <plenty>. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that's the biggest thing is taking the, the, what we have in our life, introducing new people to it. And that's the biggest thing, like, it takes an introductory to something to change your life. I, I don't care how it is. It just doesn't show up on your life. It's no. just not, But seeing it either from a distance or being a part of it allows you to start a stepping stone that will change your life forever. But what is also changing is those around you. And you may not be ref- directly trying to do that, but just letting you know that there's bigger things than just yourself.
0: And you you got to be the light in everything, you know, right? I mean, it's, it's it's not, I mean, you, you are being the light in that. And we all, we all, I mean, everybody can be the light in their own, in their own community, you know, just, just be the change, yeah. you know, I mean, stop complaining, be the change you want to be, you want to have in the world, you know, have empathy, you know, I and mean, it's just, it's not, you don't have to have suffered, you know, something like crazy like you have, but. Every, all of us, man, all of us can be an inspiration in our community, an inspiration for kids, an inspiration for, to our co-workers, just, just, just be, be something, somebody that, that you know, they, I, one of the things that, that profound, that changed me a lot is, is, you know, the saying, I have two daughters and that, uh, and my, and, and it was like, you know, close your eyes, think, think, think about your daughter dating somebody like you, and they, they, they smile, <laughs> and <it's> like, <laughs> go, change, change. change. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. Right. Be that example, man. Be that example for your for, for your people, for your friends, for your community, you know? And the biggest thing is understanding
2: that not every single day is gonna be the best light of who you are. Yeah. There's just days that you're gonna go through a rut, there's gonna be setbacks when it comes down to, it's the concept of understanding what it currently is, don't unpack. Yeah, That's it, like, deal with it when it comes, just don't unpack and stay there but if you unpack you're there like that's going to be you that's going to be that's what's going to define you and and a lot of people ask me like oh what do you do with your chair what do you do with that And, and the best thing i explain to them is i don't let the chair define me i define the chair yeah you know i spend my time in a wheelchair but this is just my means of getting around this is not my life this isn't you know i can live without it i could i it would be a different way of getting around I definitely would figure out a different way of living around it.
0: I've seen you flip a tire. I've seen you get out of your freaking chair, man. Get down there and sleep a freaking Yokohama tire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It it, It was just
2: some random tire on a trail. (laughs) It was just sitting outside the road and I was like, this doesn't look like it's in the right place. I need to move it over there. And it just just happened
3: to be
1: mile 15 after
3: (laughs) eight hours. (laughs) Don't worry about that part.
1: (laughs) soon uh it's it's uh i'm i'm quietly listening because i'm fascinated and a lot of the audience that is going to watch you in this interview is uh business owners entrepreneurs you know And, and many times uh ricardo and i see so many people along the way that get started in a business or are already in a business and that they get derailed by small obstacles that mm-hmm. they encounter. So I, I thank you for dropping so many truth bombs along the way yes. ab- about look, uh, no, no obstacle is permanent. Number one. Correct. And number two, if you focus on the solution and you take it one day at a time and think about improving mm-hmm. on a daily basis, because you've been on a journey of improving yourself, not only mentally I can see, but physically, right? Yeah. Most of us, don't have to worry about the physical part one bit Mm -hmm. right if you want to go to the kitchen and grab a a cereal box and pour some milk in it and stuff like that i mean we get that done like that but in your case it's it's a lot more of a process right it's an adventure Especially if they put the darn cereal on the top (laughs) shelf, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Darn kids trying to (laughs) keep it away from me. (laughs) So, man, it's just awesome because I I, I think um, this is the perspective that we need on a daily basis when we encounter an obstacle or we're thinking about quitting or we're thinking about throwing in the towel or uh, anything that might make us complain and, and, and whine and say, oh man, I don't want to do this anymore, when the reality is, uh, no matter what's ahead of you, there's people that uh, have it worse, number one. Yes. And and number two, uh, I see that you have tapped into that inner strength and that attitude that Ricardo has witnessed uh, racing with you, and now I'm witnessing for myself, and and hopefully I get a chance to race with you as well, one of these days. And, uh, you know, uh, because I think that everybody should get to experience something that they've never tried before. Right? 100%. Everybody should get out of their comfort zone and try something that they're fearful about that. They're not ready for, right? Because that's, that's really the the, the biggest, the biggest, um, way out for people is like, Oh, I'm not ready for that. Right. I, I haven't trained. Right. I haven't prepared. I don't have the right shoes. I don't have the right equipment. I don't have the right haircut. I, I, I'm, I'm ugly. I don't want to be on on, on camera, right? Or whatever. So man, it's, 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 it's leadership at its best because to me, leadership is influence and you're you're influencing so many people with your example. I mean, you're, you're influencing us to uh, have a better perspective and just, just be happy with what you have and just try to be a little better every day.
2: Right, and, and the biggest concept when people ask me, like, what goes on, like, you start thinking about it, like, today's not my best day, but I can guarantee it's not my worst. Yeah. And I can tell you my worst day. I, I, I can recall it from the moment it happened to, to what's going on, and, and then you look at somebody else, and like you said, like, somebody has it worse, you know? But what I love about when you look at somebody having it something worse, look what they're doing with their life, with what's worse. And you're watching them do something that honestly defies life. You know, it, it literally goes against everything you've ever been taught or everything you've ever seen. And you're watching, I mean, uh, McAllister, no legs, puts a, puts a cover on and bumps himself through, through Spartan racing. Oh, yeah. and, and, or, or Travis Mills, who's a quadruple amputee. He's got uh, all four uh, prosthetics and, and changes his life, you know, and, and, and does, okay, I'm, I, I've lost my ability to these limbs, but what does he do with that? You know, he change, creates a nonprofit, changes other people's lives in the process because he's right. Like, you are, you have this ailment, but with this ailment, what are you doing with it? Are you going to live in it or are you going to grow from it? You know, what are what are, what are you going to do? And if we are put on this earth to be something bigger than ourselves. We are to, to, to influence. I, I don't know if it comes down to the, for us to influence our own children to be better than who we were. You know what I mean, we obviously take... What we grew up with is granted, like, oh, it wasn't offered this, and we try to offer that to our kids. It's just, it's just in us because we felt like we missed out because we didn't have this. And now we just find out we're just spoiling the crap out of them. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, what you're doing is something bigger than yourself. And that's what you have to find. That's what I love about Operation, Endure, Operation Enduring Warrior is a team effort. And that's amazing. When you're in the military and as a first responder, that's what you have, is you have your team. You can trust that that person next to you is going to pick up that weapon and fight or fight for you or protect or whatever it is got to do or fight for the firefighter that's running in the building and they're protecting in the same concept. And you're able to bring that to a small enough field where both commingle with each other right? and complete the mission. But as a whole, talk through the mission. It's not just, this is my opinion of how you're going to do it. And this is how we're going to execute it is. All right, this is what we're about to come upon. And there were so many times we stopped and we talked. Like, yeah, this is what we're about to do. Who says this is right? Let's see what this is wrong. I mean, and we tried one way, it didn't work. And we did something else. And like, it came up on the, the arm over arm um, line. Yeah. And it came down to, okay, let's we'll take this harness. And then we looked at the harness we're like, well, that's a pivot point from here. And then we're like, we need somebody's belt. And somebody took their belt off. And the team, we worked together yeah. for me to be able to get to that end of that and ring that bell. But... The look on everybody's face when he, when I finished, it wasn't just me finishing. That's what I think, like, a lot of people see that concept. We, as a team, finish. Oh, yeah. You know, even having our map athletes go through with a gas mask, and, and don't get me wrong, they're stuck in I, they're, oh, yeah. I, I commend them for the fact that they even want to put a gas mask on, because even in the military, the moment we could take those off, we would chuck them. But the fact that they leave them on from the moment of that race to, to behind closed doors to the point where behind another closed door, they take it off, and then they're able to breathe on their own. I love the fact that their disability is, is the gas. Emissions. And it puts them on the same playing field as the person that they're doing the honoree for. I can't turn off my, my disability. They can't take off theirs. So we can now be at the same playing field where somebody thinks, well, this guy's paralyzed and you're able to walk on your two good legs. Like, yeah. that's not the same. No, it's worse. But at the same time, you use each other's disabilities and limitations to accomplish a mission together, looking at it as a whole, not just this step we got to get past. It's like, all right, this is what we're up against and this is how we're going to defeat it. And when you cross that finish line as a team, the, the feeling of... The execution, the mission complete, the the feeling of being able to say we did this as a whole, not I did this. It is we, the team, the concept of understanding that we got here, we conquered this, we go home as a team.
1: Yep, that's awesome. What do you guys have planned for the weekend?
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go. What does Florida have on the plans for the weekend? <laughs> yeah, so you know, I, I, we're, we drove up here with. My, I drove with my family, everything, to to a weekend camp at, at Patrick's Air Force Base. Uh, Chris is there with his RV and everything. But you know, Lopez called me and is like, "Dude, it's gonna it's gonna rain tomorrow. We're going back to Fort Lauderdale. So, so they're going back to Fort Lauderdale. I gotta go set up my tent right now. <laughs> so, so <laughs> you know, my family's right outside the door, and I, and I gotta I gotta go set up my tent. So. So, yeah, man, it's it's going to be a, an interesting weekend, but I'm sure we're going to have fun. Yes. And uh, we're going to hang out with all these amazing people. And it's, it's better, better than Veterans Day weekend. So, what better yet to bring honor to 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 you guys, you know,
2: and, and just, just you know, have fun. We, and, and with OEW, I think our biggest thing, we've had a lot of growth during the obstacle course, the obstacles of the race, but I think our biggest growth was the in-between. Yeah. You know, the talking through the looking at what it takes to get to us, especially this weekend, like change after change. It's right. like pretty it. like what what rain? <laughs> All right. Yeah, no ceiling. Yeah. Okay. Let's go do something else. But that's what it's about. That that in itself adapts as you go. And that that's what it is. It's not just the obstacles in our life that we adapt to, it's everything that's thrown our way. And and, right. and it could be a bad decision that we made on day one when we first started to something that just gets thrown our way and we're like, all right, and you just look at us, look at it as a whole, like, let's do this. Let's, let's punt and an and audible and go this direction, you know? That's life, man, that's <laughs> life,
1: you know? What would be the number one advice you would give to people out there as far as not letting themselves get derailed by obstacles in their life?
2: I think the biggest thing is focusing on you're not who you you're not gonna be the the always in your life the person you are right now. If you focus on the change, sure. as, as we were saying, you will better yourself, even though it may be the hardest battle in your life, you're not gonna be the same person that you were that, that we're talking about. And understanding that the person to change it isn't somebody around you, it's you. But you may be influenced by those around you. And influenced to do something bigger and bigger and huger than this current small goal that you have. And it all starts with just understanding that tomorrow is not the same as it was yesterday. I'm not the same person like tomorrow. I'm not going to be the same person I'm today. Yes. even through skydiving today, picking up my legs and, and I'm going to feel the pain tonight. I know that tomorrow I'm not the same person that I was the day before. Yep. And I'm a, I'm a better person every single day that I shed this side every day. I shed a new side of myself every single day. Understanding that tomorrow is, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And, and tomorrow can bring me setbacks but those setbacks aren't the same setbacks i dealt with two weeks ago yep. i know that because
1: i've moved on from that yeah <laughs> i mean will always make your your future bigger than the past. you know yeah. I
0: mean,
1: chris man i am so thankful thank you so much for your service thank you so much for inspiring us you have fueled my tank for months brother <laughs> I, it's, no no for real it, it's like look uh we are very uh very motivated uh people ricardo and i but you know just seeing people like yourself stand up and fight and have an the attitude of a warrior and i mean so fitting that your t-shirt says warrior right there uh the attitude of a warrior and just not let yourself be defeated by anything that comes your way uh it, it makes me so proud to call myself a U.S. citizen, Ricardo just got his U.S. citizenship not yeah, too long ago. Um, <laughs> working for it for 20 <laughs> years, I worked for it for 20 years. And you know, as kids, uh, our dream was to come to the U.S. Mm-hmm. because it was the land of opportunity. It was yes. the land of freedom. It yes. was the land where dreams came true. And I can tell you, there's nothing more true in my life that when I was a kid dreaming about that and now as an adult where my family is 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 in this country enjoying all the freedoms that we have and it's because of men like you that have given much more than we can ever give to you guys so thank you for that man
2: i i would do it all over again if you told me all this would happen to me and you laid it all down online, line like this is what you're going to go through your life i'd sign right back up and do it all over again
1: that's awesome thank you man thank you so much guys enjoy your weekend have fun. Thank you for this, brother. You. If, you, if you get to skydive, great. If not, do something else that is fun. Um, have a beer and prepare uh, <laughs> yourselves.
2: Thanks, Thanks
1: brother. Chris, looking forward to meet you in person, brother.
3: Hi,
2: right, brother. Thanks, guys, guys.
1: Take care. Have a good night, guys.
3: Good night.